Chapter 28 Year 875 PXF Winter Thorn's stories reached one individual in particular, a young pewter dragonborn of just over two centuries named Nazji Berylston. Thorn had crossed paths with Nazji on a few occasions at the Lamb Shank, but after last friend's remembrance, Nazji seemed by happenstance to be everywhere Thorn went. Whether in the Pillars or Sunhall or even the silent sanctuary of the Cavern of Echoes, Nazji was always close by. Knowing that his face and form were still easily tied to his past identity, and with the timing being so soon after his stories of Talon, Thorn decided to confront Nazji. Thorn had learned early in Talon's life, one should never underestimate the reach and resources of Toman Corvermain. Over his scant few months in Oldstone, Thorn had taken the time to investigate the mist markets that Darvis had mentioned the first day. It didn't take much intuition or experience to recognize the district as a den of illicit activities. Located adjacent to the cacophony of the Silvervane River's plunge from hundreds of feet above the Pillar's Cavern, the constant roar made the mist market a perfect place for shadier individuals to conduct discreet negotiations without fear of eavesdroppers. In addition, since continuous rain from the falls bathed the district, as a courtesy, the mist market supplied all visitors with waterproof, full-length hooded cloaks and ingenious portable awnings on sticks to keep their personal clothing dry. So not only could people be unheard in the mist market, but they could also be unseen for all intents and purposes, with the anonymity the cloaks and awnings provided. As with all such districts, the mist market needed to be home to legitimate businesses, so that not all visitors would be automatically considered suspicious. Accordingly, the district was home to many fine purveyors of exotic wares, importers of rare and hard-to-get items, and Old Stone's most upscale gambling establishments and private drinking clubs. One early evening, Thorn, with Nazji not so subtly tailing him, he was a pewter dragonborn in a city of dwarves, to be fair, lured Nazji deep into the pouring rain of the mist market. With little effort, Thorn, shrouded in a dragonborn-sized mist cloak, confounded Nazji in the narrow hallways and shopfronts. He then easily ambushed the dragonborn, slamming him against a wall under a downspout and yanking back his mist cloak's hood so the water would pour down his face. Finally, placing his sickle to Nazji's throat while still pinning him to the wall, Thorn snarled, What do you want from me? Why do you haunt me like my shadow? Peace, friend, peace. I am an enchanter and artificer. My only interest is in the sickle you wield. His eyes darted down to the blade at his throat. He added, sputtering through the water pouring down his face, attempting to calm Thorn and reading his concern. Dragonborn live many lives over their time walking this world. We think nothing of laying one to rest and picking up another. He narrowed his eyes. What might seem strange or suspicious to those with such a brief time before meeting the last friend is but the change of the seasons to those descended from dragons. Thorn pulled the metallic dragonborn out of the water flowing from the downspout. What of my sickle? May I? Nazji requested to hold the sickle. How about with eyes first, and then we will see about hands? Thorn replied. As you wish. I suspect you know this, but the blade was not wrought by any craftsperson. It is god-touched. 
And while it looks like metal, and... He pointed to his throat where the sickle remained. Certainly cuts like metal. I doubt that it is. Nazji continued. It is not just the grip that is alive. You do know the grip is alive, right? The blade is as well, and in case you weren't aware, both are in need of some water and sunlight. He added with a draconian smile and overly familiar tone. Perhaps we can get your weapon some sustenance, and then some of that ale and bread you purchased this morn for ourselves? For some reason, the strange dragonborn put Thorn at ease. Whether it was his faltering reptilian smile, or the black crest that furled and unfurled with his emotional state, he could not say. But he took his sickle from Nazji's neck. Then, nonchalantly, acting like it was some regular practice, Thorn held the sickle under the downspout of water, having been chided for not caring for his unique weapon properly. However, Thorn was fooling no one. Nazji watched with a side-eye glance, and Thorn meeting his gaze knew he had been caught. Both chuckled at the absurdity of the picture they must make. Then Thorn, with a smile, placed a hand on Nazji's shoulder and led them back out of the mist market to his nearby residence. Thorn offered Nazji a towel upon their arrival to his abode to apologize for placing him under the downspout back at the market, but Nazji hardly needed it. His pewter scales had repelled most of the flow, letting whatever remained to fall away by the time they arrived. Once to his apartment, Thorn tapped the small keg of stout he had picked up that morning, laid out a few loaves of dark bread with sweet butter, and set them up at the tall wooden table nestled between the kitchen, great room, and balcony overlooking the silver vein. Thorn took the time to examine Nazji's unique coloration as they settled in. While Thorn had still not met many dragonborn, he had yet to see one with scales like Nazji's. They had a brushed metal look instead of the bright mirror-like polish of all the others he had seen. Nazji noticed his scrutiny and chimed in. I have a unique heritage. Bit of a mutt, really. I have a great-grandmother on my mother's side who was Carnelian Gemborn, and my father was chrome-scaled. While not as flashy as some, I quite like it. You wouldn't believe how much time scale polishing takes. Thorn couldn't help but smile, knowing firsthand how much time it had taken to maintain Talon's hair when he bothered. He absently reached for the missing mane of locks he had in his previous life, finding only the short chopped remains from his decision when living in the woods of Elerion. Nazji's scales weren't the only thing that made him unique. He was taller and leaner in build than most dragonborn Thorn had seen of his size. And unlike Malkadan, his short, wide neck almost blended into his broad, bony shoulders. Nazji held himself with a bit of a slouch, but Thorn could empathize, as when one interacted with folks of half your height most of the day, it was hard not to become permanently hunched in your stance. Thorn found Nazji to be an excellent conversationalist who had knowledge of a vast array of topics and asked intelligent questions on the subjects Thorn was versed in and could easily discuss. The night slipped away, and both soon found themselves yawning and yearning for rest. As Thorn escorted Nazji to the door, he inquired, Nazji, you obviously were able to discern much about my sickle, but can you tell me anything of my armor? Nazji replied, First, only my fathers and mother call me Nazji. Call me Naz. Second, for the chainmail, not without the equipment in my lab. 
I didn't want to pry or impose by asking, but what you have there is not of this world. What? Thorne asked, overwhelmed by the statement. It's not dangerous from what I can glean. In fact, it vouches for your character. You see, no one of evil intent could possess it, or so it seems. But with items such as it, crafted in places far from our own world, concepts such as good and evil might not even exist. A yawn interrupted Naz's thought. I could talk another four hours on this, but instead, why not come by my workshop when you get the chance, and we can see what it's all about. Catching Naz's yawn and echoing it himself, Thorn said, <sighs> Sounds good. I have a job with Margarin which has me tied up for the next few days, but I'll come by soon after. Where can I find it? Inventor's Grotto. Most anyone can point the way. It's downstream from Riverrock, two levels up, Naz recited as he headed down the stairs. See you then! Thorne's first job with Margarin led to another and then another. It was almost a fortnight before Thorne spotted Naz at the Lambshank, approached him, apologizing profusely, and promised to come by the following day. Inventor's Grotto, while still a part of Sunhall, was recessed back from the main thoroughfares and, unlike the rest of the cavern, was only three levels high, being tucked under an overhang of the main structures of Sunhall and hidden behind consecutive curtains of waterfalls. Hearing some of the alarming noises echoing in the grotto, Thorne correctly assumed the waterfalls were part of a system to protect the populace of Sunhall, and perhaps even all of Oldstone, from whatever activities and experiments were conducted here. With just a few inquiries, Thorne was pointed to Naz's workshop on the middle level of the grotto, in what seemed to be a prime location near what appeared to be a large, semi-mechanical, semi-arcane teleportation arch. Like many of the workshops in the area, Naz's shop had an open front most barns would be envious of. Beyond the wide entrance was an open workspace large enough to fit three wagons side by side, and to one side of that there were two smaller, fully enclosed rooms, with a true rarity in Old Stone, glass windows looking out on the workshop floor. At first, Thorne could not find Naz and wondered if he had accidentally wandered into the wrong workshop. But then, from behind what looked like a pile of brass plates and scrapped gears, popped up Naz's familiar black headcrest and frills, followed by his wide, draconian eyes. It struck Thorne that even how different humans looked from Dragonborn, he could immediately register the excitement and kind welcome Naz had in his expression that Thorne had come to visit him in his workshop. So much so that he wondered if Naz hadn't been equally disappointed when Thorn hadn't arrived when promised. Greetings, friend Thorn! Naz exclaimed, standing up to his full height as he rubbed some type of grease or other arcane fluid off his hands onto his trousers. As Naz walked toward him, hand extended, Thorn watched as the stains he had just smeared on the fabric of his pants disappeared as well as any remaining smudges on the tiny metallic scales of his hands. Naz shook Thorn's hand and pulled him in for a quick embrace, keeping their hands still clasped between them. At first he tensed up, but then was glad for the casual, easy contact with someone, something he hadn't had since Osmond's heartbreak over Serena's leaving two summers before. Don't mind the mess. I always have half a dozen projects going at once, and even on the ones that look finished there is always more to do. Naz guided Thorn around another contraption with multiple mirrors and lenses. 
careful of that one. It is one of the Sunhall Raycatchers. They sometimes have a mind of their own. Naz then led the way to one of the doors to the smaller rooms with the glass-paned windows. Ushering Thorn inside, he closed the door behind them, an action that made Thorn's ears pop. Not to worry. Just a precaution when delving into the secrets of unknown magics, Naz said nonchalantly. I assume you have the armor shirt, so we can look at it? Thorn handed the shirt over. It had been very strange for him not to don any type of armor that morning, as he had practically lived in armor for most of his adult life. But he also didn't want to have to undress here at Naz's shop. Seeing Thorn's trepidation, Naz offered, Oh, you don't have to worry about it getting damaged. It is far more likely that it will damage my equipment or shop, or the whole district for that matter, with whatever it is that is making it tick. Naz added, deadly serious. No, really. Naz took the chainmail shirt and gently placed it on a round platen that he slid under a multi-armed crystal-jointed apparatus that looked much like an inverted spider. He then began casting a series of sigils and runes with intricate hand motions and guttural words in a language Thorn did not comprehend. Springing to life, a shining sphere made of light and sparking arcana surrounded the spider-like apparatus holding the armor shirt. Naz began to recite what he learned from the casting as he identified the armor's secrets. Well, not unexpectedly, its power is divine in origin. And the metal is not any found on this world, at least that the dwarves know of, so highly unlikely it exists here on Valknor. It has the telltale signs of arcane translocation, which I have seen before with items coming from the Lyrian Gulf. As Nazji spoke, he manipulated the arcane sphere around the apparatus, focusing it more acutely on the armor. My question is, is it telling me the truth? Naz's concentration furrowed his brow, and the dark frill across his scalp began to fold back from the strain as he now seemed to be fighting the sphere of arcane energy. The armor lit up with silver light as a shrill noise suddenly built in the room around them. Nazji was so deep in concentration, he either couldn't see or was blind to the glow around the chainmail shirt, coalescing into an ethereal barbed dart. As the sound of the ritual crescendoed, Thorn dove forward, knocking Naz away from the machine. The spell broke just as the divine bolt Thorn had seen forming shot out of the armor to where Naz's head had been, ripping through the machine along its path. Nazji and Thorn fell to the floor in the corner of the room, both looking wild-eyed up at the not insubstantial glowing molten hole in the wall of the small lab above their heads. Perhaps I cut that a little too close. Naz blithely commented as he pushed his taloned finger through a hole in his headcrest. But it was enlightening. The armor is a relic of the Silver Scribe. Not the deity as we know her, but a different aspect of her as she exists on another world. Nazji stroked the elongated obsidian-like scales on his chin. Our Lady of the Scrolls is most known for her domain of knowledge and medicine. This other aspect's purview seems more akin to secrets and maintaining the vaults that lock away the things that mortals should never know. Naz added a bit nervously. And I trod right upon that sacred space. Uh, do we need to be worried or running right now? Thorn asked, a bit lightheartedly, but also ready to spring out the door. No need. We would already be dead if it wanted us to be. 
Naz said flatly. The other thing I confirmed is that this other aspect of the Silver Scribe does align themselves with the forces of good. In fact, zealously so. Here, take a look. Nazji got up and lent Thorn a hand as he rose to his feet as well. The Dragonborn tossed some of the broken arms of his machine out of the way and retrieved the now benign-looking armor from the platen it occupied within the array. Spreading the shirt out on the workbench, Thorn noticed it was now closer to the smaller size it had been when he found it under the forge and, with its longer drape, would probably fit Nazji. Naz went to a cabinet, retrieved a deeply ruined lead box, and placed it next to the male shirt. Grabbing a pair of tongs, he opened the small chest, revealing half a dozen dark coins. These are from the Nine Hells, utterly evil in every possible way. Pulling out a coin with the tongs, he then dropped it onto the chainmail, or more correctly, tried to. Okay, wow! Naz exclaimed as the coin completely disintegrated into a fine mist before ever touching the links of the armor. I was thinking at best the coin would glow like in a furnace, perhaps melt a little. Ah, interesting. Naz began to reach into the chest for another coin, but Thorn grabbed his hand. Perhaps we shouldn't play games with the relic of a divine entity we don't fully understand, and that could evaporate us as easily as that coin, yeah? Thorn commented pointedly. You make a good point, Nazji conceded. But now we do know that neither one of us is evil, apparently. So where did you say you got this thing again? I didn't, Thorn replied, with a firm finality to that line of questioning in his tone. Ah, got it. Changing subjects, Naz asked, placing a hand on Thorn's shoulder. So, do you want the job? The work is good, and I will give you a percentage of commissions you assist on, plus a weekly rate. It is better than hauling furniture and harvesting cave lichen, I would suspect. Regular work would be a boon, but I have just the barest amount of magical skill, and it is shamanistic in nature, Thorn confessed. That's the point! You can be my apprentice! I'll teach you! Naz replied, with his fanged, draconic grin. Thorn almost said no, but why not? He had been a leader and trainer for decades. Why not learn something new and be the student once again? When do I start? Thorn asked. Right now. Grab this, and I will show you where the to-be-repaired pile is. Naz indicated the broken, spider-like machine. Nazji led Talon out of the small lab and into the main workspace. At the far side of the large room, he pointed to a wall of shelves containing at least three dozen machines and constructs in various states of disrepair. As I said, I need the help. 